Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, this week, we'll be revisiting a special series from Dr. Newfeld in the book of Jude called The One True Faith. So turn in your Bible to the book of Jude as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, And the Fight Goes On. I was recently having a conversation with someone who said, you know, things are getting so bad, we must be in the end times. You know, I asked him what he was referring to, and in truth, I don't remember what he said. I mean, he could have talked about the lack of free speech in North American college and university campuses. You know, he could have been talking about political structures in North America that seem fanatically critical to Christian values. He could have talked about radical anti-Christian bias in much of the press. He could have spoken about an increasingly unsettling world in which the Christian faith is being persecuted. He might have spoken about technology that, that allows every single person to be tracked. I mean, the list is quite extensive, and I've heard so much of it before. Now, before I say what I'm about to say, let me add a caveat. I believe that Christ could return at any time. We may indeed be on the very threshold of our Lord's return, but it would be a massive mistake to say that our present reality is sure evidence of the Lord's return. I mean, to say so reflects an ignorance of history. Consider only the situation of the early church. Rome demanded that Christians confess that Caesar was Lord. Rome demanded that trade unions pour out libations to Caesar, and Christians were therefore often excluded from the the trades they needed to make a living. Rumors abounded that Christians were engaging in secret orgies, for they purported to have love feasts. And at least that's how many people of that day thought. I mean, what can a love feast mean but, but an orgy? And so they were being slandered everywhere. And furthermore, the practice of sharing the Lord's Supper in in which they spoke of the body and blood of their Lord, well, that caused some to accuse them of cannibalism. They were sometimes charged with hatred of the human race. And if we think it's bad today, well, I guess you get the idea. I say all of these things as an introduction to a tiny letter tucked away at the close of the New Testament, the book of Jude. Jude is often overlooked simply because of its size. It has but one chapter, which consists of only 27 verses, or if you like, only 461 words, and that's it. But it's not the shortest book in the Bible. In the first or the Old Testament, the book of Obadiah, shorter. and the New Testament, the books of Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John are also shorter. And that being said, we must not ignore the short books. They have their place in Scripture, and, and they're given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And God has determined that certain books should be very succinct in their message, one that can be very easily digested. And Jude is that kind of a book. So what's the book about? Well, the answer, this book is about a massive conflict or a fight for the truth of the Christian faith. Rather than dealing with persecution from without or the problem of maintaining church unity, Jude is about the issue of false teachers and how to resist their threat. Now, before we get into the nuts and bolts, let's learn a little bit about the book itself. First, from the very first verse of the book, the author identifies himself as Jude, first a servant or a bond slave of Jesus, and then the brother of James. Well, which James is he talking about? We know that Jesus chose James, the son of Zebedee, and the brother of John to be one of the 12 disciples. 
But we also know, according to Acts 12, 1-2, that Herod Agrippa killed this James with a sword just prior to the arrest of Peter. The year of that martyrdom, the first of our Lord's disciples, took place in the year A.D. 44. You know, that this Jude is the brother of that James, well, that's been widely discounted. I mean, after all, he probably would have identified himself as the brother of John and not of James. So we have to look elsewhere. So let's go to Luke 6, verse 16. There we read about a Judas, the son of James, who's one of the 12 disciples. He's distinguished from Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. This Judas, the son of James, is one of the 12. But in the book of Jude, and by the way, Jude is simply a variation of the name Judas. But in the book of Jude, Jude calls himself not the son of James, but the brother of James. And furthermore, in Jude verses 17 and 18, we read, You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, and then on it goes. In other words, this Jude distinguishes himself from the apostles. He's not one of the 12. So we need to discount that Jude or or that Judas. And of course, he's not Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. I mean, that, that should be obvious. So who is he? Well, it seems almost certain that the James, who is the brother of Jude, is the James who is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. See, in our language, we call him, well, the senior pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And that fits well with what is reported in Matthew 13, verse 55. See, in that passage, people were questioning where Jesus got the wisdom that he was displaying. And here's what they said. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And so we know from the gospel accounts that after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary went on to have a family, and that included four other boys and a number of girls as well. And it would appear that Judas, or Jude, would have been the youngest of the brothers. And James, after Jesus, would have been the oldest. And so this Jude was raised by Mary and Joseph, who watched his older brother Jesus embark upon a ministry that would eventually divide all of history in two, before and after his coming. See, we also know that according to John 7, verse 5, that in relation to Jesus' family, John says, for not even his brothers believed in him. That's to say that the four boys did not believe their oldest brother was the Messiah, Savior of the world. Now, they must have known from Mary, from Joseph, that Jesus had a miraculous birth. And we're not told why they didn't believe. I mean, perhaps it was jealousy or perhaps it was bitterness because after Joseph died, Jesus seems to have abandoned the family to go on his public ministry. I mean, we simply don't know why they didn't believe. But then something happened. And that thing was the resurrection of Jesus. When Paul writes about Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, he says, and I'm quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So did you notice? Paul makes a distinction between James and then the apostles. That means in 1 Corinthians, the James that Paul's speaking about is James, who is the half-brother of the Lord. After his resurrection, the risen Jesus appeared to his brother James, and we would therefore assume that either James told the rest of the family or that Jesus himself spent time with the entire family. 
Well, at any rate, the outcome of this must have been that whereas the brothers once doubted, now, after the resurrection, they became full-blown followers of Jesus. And more, these brothers became leaders in the early Christian movement. James pastored in Jerusalem, and he's also the author of the book of James. And Jude, well, what's he doing? Well, we get a hint of his activities from a comment that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5. There, Paul is speaking about his rights as an apostle, and here's what he says. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord? See, that would indicate that Jude, one of the brothers of Jesus, was traveling. Maybe he's a missionary and that he's being accompanied in his travels by his wife. And so it seems that Jude was a missionary, perhaps a church planter, maybe an itinerant preacher. Now, one more issue. Anyone who's familiar with the New Testament will notice the similarity between Jude and 2 Peter. Indeed, if you read 2 Peter, especially 2 Peter chapter 2, also some sections of chapter 3, well, you'll immediately notice that a great portion of those two books, Jude and 2 Peter, are identical. And that leads to an obvious question. Who's borrowing from whom? Does Peter quote from Jude or is Jude quoting from Peter? Now, please remember that this was, well, it was quite acceptable in that day. It wasn't considered plagiarism. Besides, if Jude is quoting from Peter, and since, as we will see later, Jude makes it very plain that he's under the leadership of the apostles, well, it may be that that Jude feels it important to quote from the apostles, to show his solidarity with the apostles. But there are a great many scholars who feel it was the other way around that Peter quoted from Jude. But of course, all of that is simply speculation. We don't know. There is, however, a difference in the way in which Peter and Jude use their material. Both Jude and Peter are very concerned to condemn false teachers. But Peter ties his denunciation of the false prophets by appealing to believers to remain faithful in the light of our Lord's soon return. And Jude also appeals to the Lord's return, but he seems to use his material more as a buttress, urging believers to fight for the one true faith that was once for all laid down, the basis of truth that never changes. Laugh Again, a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, has had a profound impact on so many lives. Well, this fall, you can embark on an exciting and encouraging journey as Laugh Again presents our new 31 Days of Hope and Humor devotional, and it's available right now. I know we can all use a reminder of the hope we have in Jesus, along with the words of encouragement that will inspire a smile on your face. Each of us has experienced the unexpected turns of life, perhaps in these last months more than most. Yet, even when life is most challenging, we're assured that our relationship with Christ will sustain us, offer us joy and assurance. So take a moment and request your free copy of Laugh Again's 31 Days of Hope and Humor devotional at backtothebible.ca, laughagain.ca, or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425. Many people have wondered when it was that Jude might have written his book. 
If it's true that Peter quoted from Jude, then the book of Jude must have been written fairly early. I say that because Peter, the apostle, well, he was martyred in Rome. He was crucified upside down. The year was AD 64. Nero, the evil Roman emperor, had embarked on a massive program of persecuting Christians, and so both Peter and Paul were executed by Nero in Rome in the very same year. With their executions, the early church was being radically transformed. The most important leaders of the infant church both died in the same year. Now, if Peter quoted from Jude, then we have to assume that Jude would have written his book sometime before 64. But what if it was the other way around? What if Jude quoted from Peter? As I've said, the majority of Bible scholars seem to believe that Peter quoted from Jude. That's because they assume that 2 Peter, which is longer, is an expansion of what Jude wrote. But there are reasons for believing that Jude may have quoted from Peter. And I say that because of two verses in this very short book. The first is from verse 3. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, I will do a thorough study on that verse tomorrow, but, but for now, let's just observe that Jude believes that there exists a basic corpus of Christian belief. It is possible that he's referring to a a great section of the New Testament. See, it is possible that if Jude wrote later, that all of Paul's writings were already completed and being circulated, along with Peter's writings as well. Perhaps the Gospel of Mark had already been completed, and for that matter, perhaps even Matthew and Luke, along with Acts. And all I'm saying is that verse 3 seems to give the impression that a basic doctrinal foundation for the truths of the Christian faith had already been laid down by the time that Jude writes. Now let's turn forward to Jude verse 17. He writes, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the next verse, Jude tells us what the apostles said. And so again, Jude is not an apostle, but he has access to what the apostles said. And that would seem to indicate a later time of writing. Well, we do know that Jude was the youngest of the boys in, in Mary and Joseph's home. So it might be that he lived well into the end of the first century. And if that's the case, we would expect that Jude could have been written as as late as the 80s or even the 90s. That would be especially significant because we do know that with the death of the apostles, with only the apostle John remaining, that false teachers were attempting to subvert the church. Jude is writing the church, telling the church, if you want to be faithful to Jesus, you've got to be faithful to the message of the apostles. This book then tells us just how important the New Testament is. And that, if if I have it right, is the classic struggle of the church. This is the fight that has now for for 2,000 years consumed the church of Jesus Christ. It is the fight to make the Christian message the message of the Bible and not the message of later Christian leaders. Now, before I move on, let's step back and ask another question. If Jude is not an apostle, and clearly he's not, how is it that he gets to write a book that's placed in the Scripture? How can we place his writings alongside of those of Matthew and Peter and John and and Paul? 
Wouldn't it be better to simply look at the book of Jude in the way in which we look at any other contemporary Christian book, helpful but not inspired by the Holy Spirit? But remember that when we ask that question, that we're not only asking that question of the book of Jude, we'd have to also ask the same question of other New Testament books as well. Remember, Jude's brother James also left us with one New Testament book. But Luke also left us with the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and clearly, Luke is not an apostle. Now, I've spoken to this issue on numerous other occasions, and and I won't repeat my entire teaching on that here, but, but please notice that in Ephesians 2 verse 20, Paul says that all true followers of Jesus are, in his words, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. See, all Christians who follow Jesus know that the truths of Jesus were handed down to us by first the apostles that Jesus chose and then by the prophets who bolstered the teaching of the apostles. And so the New Testament is the product of the apostles whom Jesus had chosen and then those prophets who were directly under the leadership of the original apostles. Jude was one of those prophets. And so it seems likely to me that since Jude and Peter use the same material, that Jude was under the leadership of Peter. And I'd also assume that after Peter and many of the apostles had died, Jude would still have, in some fashion, have considered himself under the leadership of the apostle John, who was surely alive when Jude wrote this short book. Now, our understanding of Jude doesn't depend on the dating of the book. You've heard me say that, in my opinion, Jude may have been written as late as the 80s or the 90s, but even if he wrote in the early 60s, the meaning of the book remains the same. The church in Jude's day was engaged in a great fight. Itinerant preachers had arisen and were subverting the apostolic message. Why, they must have asked, do we need to be dependent on what the Lord's apostles said about him? What about other men and women who've had their own visions of Jesus? What about people who perceived a different Jesus than the one that the apostles preached? Why should we shut them down? And it is this that Jude addresses. See, in my mind, most of the apostles have died and they're no longer there to contradict the false teachers. And to that, Jude offers his very short, articulate book. It's short enough to be read in a couple of minutes, but it's never to be forgotten. First of all, Jude said Christians need to know the basic truths of the faith. They must know how to defend those truths. And then, turning to the false teachers, Jude says that one thing that is always evident about these men is their immoral character. And Jesus said the same. Remember Matthew 7, verse 16? Jesus said, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Indeed, the connection between right belief and right conduct is undeniable. False teachers have a false morality. False belief inspires false living. But Jude's still not done. He wants Christians to know that it's only a matter of time before these false teachers stand before the bar of God's judgment. But the saints... Those who hold fast to the message given given by the apostles and the prophets, well, they're going to be saved from the judgment to come. And for this reason, Jude leaves his readers with two thoughts. First, since those of us who are saved have been granted mercy, 
We must also look to extend mercy to others, snatching them, in Jude's words, from the fire. We are to be agents of God's salvation and mercy. And then second, Jude makes it clear that we not only defend the faith, but that we persevere in a lifetime of faithfulness to our Lord until we appear before his presence. And that's it. That's the message of Jude. It's simple, it's straightforward, and it's extremely hard-hitting. Jude wants us to know that on this side of the second coming of Jesus, we will encounter a great fight, a great contest for the true faith. His short book is an important abridged instruction manual as to how to conduct that fight. You know, I began today's message by talking about a a conversation that I recently had with someone who suggested that the great conflict for the faith in our day must mean that we're living in the last days. And, And I responded that, yes, our Lord will indeed soon return. But don't let the timing of the Lord's return cloud your judgment. The fact is that since the beginning of the church, we have been in a great contest for the faith. And rather than figuring out when our Lord will return, why don't we prepare ourselves for the great contest? Christ is going to come exactly when the Father designates that hour to be. In the meantime, may we have been found to be faithful soldiers of the cross until Christ returns. We must know the truth and fight for the truth and never fail to live for the truth. And so, as we study Jude, Let's be encouraged to do what this short book demands that we do. Let us be faithful soldiers of the cross of Jesus Christ until Christ calls us home. John, as you're finishing up there, I was thinking of the words of Isaac Watts. He wrote the song, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Jude is saying something very strong and very specific. We have a job to do. Yeah, we sure do. We must fight. Fight goes on. You know, Ben, it, it strikes me that, that truth is exclusive and lies include all sorts of things. So, you know, if you stand for the truth, you must take your stand against that which is not true. And this is what this book is all about. It will rattle our cage. If we don't want to fight, as Isaac Watts says, well, we prove ourselves not to be on the side of the truth. And so uh, hang on, because this book, even though it's short, is really a hard-hitting book that demands that Christians recognize how important it is to know the truth and to fight for it at the same time. Well, I'm excited and looking forward to the rest of the week. Thanks, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue this series in the book of Jude at Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Hey, have you heard? Our free kids mobile game app, Bible ABCs for Kids, has some great new updates making it easier for you to enjoy time with your children as they dive deeper into God's Word. Let your child enjoy tracing uppercase and lowercase letters while animated friends cheer them on. With the added feature of descriptive poems to help your kids better understand the Bible. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. In a time where most learning is happening online, Bible ABCs for Kids helps our children continue to grow spiritually and in their understanding of God 
and His unconditional love for each of us. Download the updated version of Bible ABCs for Kids from the App Store and Google Play Store today. Or for more information, just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.